From the Global Compact Network Australia, I'm Kylie Porter, and this is The Pressures Report. This week on The Pressures Report, we're exploring the theme of ethical business, including the changing role of business, the rise of multi-stakeholder models and the end of stakeholder primacy, radical transformation, the role of change, and the purpose of purpose-led businesses. Joining me in this conversation is founder and chair of the Adara Group and non-executive director of Suncorp, Odette XL. Thanks for joining us, Odette. Your career has taken you to some very interesting places. And first of all, I'd just like to unpack a bit about your career so that our listeners understand the extent of your experience. You've gone from being the managing director of the Bermuda Commercial Bank and chair of the Bermuda Stock Exchange before giving it all up to set up the Adara Group, which works alongside communities living in poverty. Your work has spanned the financial services sector, non-executive board roles, regulatory roles, and the international development and not-for-profit sector. How do you bridge these worlds? And did you always have a plan plan to create this bridge? Hi, Kylie. I I, uh, would love to to tell you that I had a plan, um, but I have to be honest to tell you that there was no plan. Um, I think Adara in particular was really a a mixture of um, crazy um, uh, dreaming and um, an overload of arrogance in terms of what I believed that I could actually achieve. Um, But the wonderful, joyous and lucky career that I've had has really been a journey where, where there have been common threads. So the common thread for me through all these wonderful periods of learning in different sectors has been social justice. So I always knew that I would work in the field of social justice from a, you know, a very young age. And I actually studied law thinking that that's where law would take me into human rights and social justice. I had a bit of an aha moment as I was ending my law degree where I realized for me, gee, if I want to actually affect change in the world, I need to learn about power and capital. And I realized it was a huge hole in my knowledge base, understanding business and understanding power and capital. And that's what led me into a career that was very different from what my other human rights activist mates thought that I would have, career through law and banking, investment banking, insurance, and even much the amazement of all my activist uh, social justice buddies, I ended up signing the $5 note in Bermuda, which to them was really the ultimate departure from my social justice roots. But the thing that was in common all that time and all that learning was trying to figure out, okay, how can I use this knowledge to affect change? change. I think there are a lot of different ways to affect change, but for me, the way that I've exhibited uh, my uh, urge to affect change and make our world a better place as best I can is, is all about setting an engagement. So it's about bridging divide from, you know, if you like the Wall Street end of the world, you know, to some of the poorest places in the planet. And all the lucky career I had leading up to that, whether it's a regulator or as a, a non-exec director or as a social entrepreneur, the other roles that I've had, they were all kind of bricks in the foundation, if you like, that that led me to stand on, uh, that I could stand on to build Adara in the way that I've built it. So, so really it's been a journey of recognising there are all sorts of strands that you have to pull together to affect change, uh, including, and really importantly, the strand of understanding business and the capital markets. It's it's one of the reasons actually I'm so attracted to to the work of the UN Global Compact. I think it's just because it pulls all those, those pieces together. That's really interesting. And I like your comments about power and capital and aligning them to social social justice. And before we sort of go into some of the other bigger events that are happening at the moment in the world and also the role of corporate social responsibility, I'm just interested, given your, your comments around 
the power capital balance and social justice, what your views are about the role of business in what's going on at the moment in the US and how that's flowed through into protests here in Australia around the lives of Indigenous peoples and whether you think this is something that business should be coming out and taking a stand on. Oh, no question. Um, and, and actually, it's um, it's a very interesting time, isn't it, that we're living um, through, an, and I think an inflection point in our world. I think um, the Black Lives Matter movement and, and the um, atrocious murder witnessed by the world, George Floyd that started this, actually, you know, it's become a really potent symbol for wealth and income inequality, injustice social injustice, discrimination and prejudice, all the things that we're revolted by and repulsed by um, as, as ordinary citizens. And I, I think the symbolism of that and the setting of this massive inequality is what has kind of sparked this enormous fire. And and it's, it's way bigger to me than just yet another social movement. I think it marks a rising up against the direction that the world has been headed in. And as businesses, you know, we have a huge ray, role to play in that. So, you know, coming back again to the UNGC, you know, we've got principle one that we should support and respect the protection of, of um, human rights and make sure that we're never complicit in human rights abuses. You know, we, we have an obligation to use our voices for change. We have an ability to use our businesses for change and speak into the space of standing up against the kind of discrimination we see as endemic in systems and power structures worldwide, quite frankly. And of course, in including in this country that we love so much, Australia. So, you know, I think it's it actually gives me enormous, I'm in awe of people, actually gives me enormous heart as we start to see people from all sectors speaking into, including from, from in some instances, from law enforcement around the world, speaking into the space against discrimination, you know, looking for systems change, because that's actually what we're talking about here. We're talking about systems change. No surprise that this comes off the back of COVID and all the fear and the lockdown and the economic impact of COVID, you know, I think, you know, that that, that that really laid the ground for this rage to boil out. And, and you know, it is a moment in our world where we can, um, wherever we have leadership roles, whether it's in our family or our community, our businesses, you know, the organisations we're in, our countries, our world, we can speak into the space of change and we can be part of a positive movement, systems change. And, and I, I think this movement is really going to help us do this. So despite all the agony and the pain, despite all the learning we need to do, um, those of us that um, uh, come out of privileged sections of society, you know, we need to sit and listen to people of colour to try to understand what's going on here. And then we need to use every single tool we've got in our toolkit to affect change. Yeah, and I, I guess it also really, for me, I was thinking about it last night in terms of, you know, what's the role of business here in Australia in terms of engaging Indigenous populations, but but also more broadly, you know, we, we do have a melting pot of cultures in Australia and how are we ensuring that all of those cultures are engaged in a sufficient way that makes them feel welcome and wanted and part of the broader business community. And it's, it's interesting because one of the central themes at Davos this year was around this whole idea of a revamp manifesto for business. And it, it talked about how a company's purpose should engage all its shareholders, sorry, not shareholders, stakeholders, in a shared and sustained value creation. Mm. Now, there's a lot of management-y jargon in there for probably quite a few people who aren't um, in business on a daily basis. 
But to me also it talks to that whole redefining the purpose of a corporation and, and thinking about this system shift that you're talking about and who, who is in that system and what companies are willing to participate in that system to ensure that the gradual change that we have to become more aligned to ethical business practices actually takes place and that we are actually creating this, what the World Economic Forum called sustained value creation for all. So when, you know, you've been thinking about the businesses that you're involved in, so not just Adara but also um, Suncorp, which is obviously a huge ASX-listed company, and combining that with your role as an advocate for ethical business, how, do you, how have you seen businesses shift in that systems thinking? And, and do you think that the World Economic Forum is, is right in that we can now see this future where all stakeholders are engaged and we do have a shared um, and sustained value creation model? Do you think this is the turning point for that? Yes, I certainly. I don't. I, I certainly think there's been a zeitgeist shift since I've been sitting in this space and trying to sit in engagement across divide and look at the ways that we can use our businesses to affect social change. The difference in the course of the last 22 years since I started Adara, the difference in business thinking is astonishing. And here we are. You know, we've had some of these you know, masters of power, if you like, whether it's PIMCO or, you know, the great investors, these large investors, or it's a business roundtable or it's Davos, finally talking multi-stakeholder, you know, and there's a part of me that when I started to hear that thought, well, welcome to the 21st century. But but I also thought at the same time, you know, I wish they'd got on board earlier, but I also thought at the same time, gee, this is a mark, you know, when this, when power starts to move with these kind of sort of central characters, if you like, you know, it really does does represent shift. It's interesting, you know, when I started Adara, and Adara, as you know, is, um, you know, it's been this big journey of joy and tears, but it's two corporate advice businesses that are embedded into an international not-for-profit, and they exist solely for the purpose of generating revenue for the not-for-profit to provide service to the to the extreme poor in the developing world. So I've been running businesses solely for purpose through Adara now for more than two decades. And, and when we began with those structures, you know, people really did not believe us that, that, that that's what we were going to do or, uh, and that this vision was capable of fulfillment. And interestingly now, the concept of of purpose and business, it's mainstream. And I see that not only in my Adara life and the work we do in the corporate advice markets and as a social entrepreneur, but I also see it with having the privilege to sit at the Suncorp board. So, you know, Suncorp, I I really believe is one of Australia's great companies. And I've been seven years on that board and watching this wonderful evolution in thinking. There's always been a thinking around, you know, our role is to protect things people value, this important purpose um, of supporting people at time of real need with insurance or, or financial services banking. But I've watched, you know, things like Reconciliation Action Plan come on. I've watched the um, Climate Change Action Plan come on. I've watched and, and luckily been able to be a part of the board when the responsible investment policies came forward, when responsible insurance came forward, um, when we started to report under the TCFD. So, you know, I've, I've had this incredibly lucky experience of seeing it at that level and seeing the level of seriousness that even the biggest boards in the country now bring to this, as well as kind of doing it on the run myself as a social entrepreneur and in my social entrepreneurship, you know, the life that I lead 
there. So is there a shift? It's massive. We've got Milton Friedman and you know primacy of the shareholder done and dusted. I really believe it. People understand now that if we want to run our businesses and we want to run them, you know, the best businesses, you know, they have to run and benefit a wide group of stakeholders. Um, and you know that that uh, I think that's a really important shift in in mindset. Um, that the great businesses of the world will be great for the world, as they say. And this crisis and where we sit right now, you know, this is our moment to to really step forward. We're reshaping the way we run our businesses. We're reshaping the way we deal with our teams, our communities, our world. If ever we saw the need for multi-stakeholder lenses put across private sector um, and our role in society, it, it's now. And I, I find that incredibly uplifting and exciting, actually. You know, this is no, this thinking is, is no longer considered to be kind of ancillary. It's, it's right at the center of, of the way that, that boards and companies, management teams, um, people choo- are choosing now to go and work for the great companies because we have radical transparency. We can find out what companies are doing. There's, you know, there's a shift, huge shift of investment assets in, in accordance with kind of ethics, values, all the other frames that are overlaid. And um, I think that's only going to increase going forward. So, so I feel very hopeful actually about where we go from here. Yeah, and it's, it's fine. I was at, I actually wrote down the words stakeholder privacy before you said them and having a think about, you know, is it is it really the end? And it's I find it really heartwarming to hear from the likes of yourself who sits on, you know, a top twenty board that you do think this is the end of primacy and it is being replaced by this whole notion of, you know, multi-stakeholder capitalism. No question. Shareholder primacy is, um, you know, I think it is, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I think it's a recognition that if you want to benefit your shareholder, if you want to operate um, a company to the highest standard, you also have to benefit community and you have to benefit consumers and you have to look after your staff. I mean, it's actually not, you know, it's, it's not, brain surgery is it to figure this out that that the way to get the best outcome is to behave incredibly well and um to bury the concept of business as a sociopath um that only has one uh single objective to provide return to, to to shareholder to be able to say actually to do that really well you need to look across all your stakeholders it's a relief as you say <laughs> and, it is, and it is it's a, a relief i guess uh, you know and and trying not to be the glass, you know, half full person, but, you know, I still look at some businesses out there and I do wonder what's holding them back from adopting the model. You know, we, we still do hear stories about shareholder returns being being preferenced over really thorough understandings of, of environmental and, and social and, and governance matters. And we still hear about companies struggling to understand how their purpose could be something that benefits the greater society rather than just their their direct customers. When you're looking at other businesses, do you see any signs that indicate what's really holding businesses back from adopting the whole model of, you know, multi-stakeholder capitalism? Isn't it? It's fascinating, isn't it? Um, Change is really hard. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've had the the, um, the great good fortune to have um, behavioural scientists working with Adara right from day dot. And, um, you know, people who've helped me think about aren't people interesting and why do they behave in certain ways. One thing I've come to see is, gee, change is hard for people. And, you know, we, we create these constructs in our thinking. We stand inside the room in our head that says, this is the way the world operates. This is the way our business operates. And pushing outside of that construct, we're stepping outside of that cage is really difficult for people. So that's the first thing I'd say is, you know, the sort of almost very human urge, things will always remain the same. But put against that, there are I, I, so so. There's that piece. So you know, there are some dinosaurs still rampaging in the <laughs> in the room, um, <laughs> and I have great faith in the amazing generations that are coming after me who are already making their their voices heard. That they will not be handicapped by the limited thinking of the last century. Um, I also think there are some other um, handicaps. You know, we have corporate governance systems, we have legal frameworks that are very much 20th century primacy of the shareholder models. I I think there's that. I also think when you make change, you have to bring as many people with you as you can. So you have to show value to the approach. And actually, one of the things I feel excited about is the data is starting to, this business case is being won on the data. You know, if you look at the MSCI Good Giving Index, or you start to look at the returns of, of, you know, great companies that are behaving, that are signatories uh, or participants in the UNGC, or, you know, how the B Corp community is going, where investment capital goes, you know, how much investment capital is earmarked for companies with great ESG, for instance. You know, you're starting to, the data is starting to come in that is showing the business sense behind the approach, but you have to get everybody coming with you. The other thing I think we've still got to do is sort out the difference, particularly in the public markets, between the sort of demand, the investor community, the an- or the analyst community for short-term results versus being able to think long-term to build great companies and, you know, and sustain, to create sustainable models because all this is underpins sustainability, right? Um, so, so there's a mismatch still in the way that we think about and value uh, publicly traded companies, I think. So, that, so there's work to be done around structure, regulation, governance, and law. But while that's all been quietly chipped away at and worked on, you know, the great thing is the data is kind of galloping us home and people are beginning to realise, crikey, if I don't pay attention to this, I'm not going to attract the best staff. I'm not going to retain them. I'm not going to get the full pool of investor capital. In fact, I may have investors pull out on me. I could be shamed on the front pages of the press if I'm caught behaving badly, you know, and on and on and on it goes. Reputational risk suddenly shoots to the fore. And all of this provides a very very compelling business case to run our businesses to a very, very high standard of excellence across multi-stakeholders and, and, and ethically. The internet changed everything. And, and I love that. There is no hiding in terms of what we're doing with our companies anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right about that that balance between short-term and long-term gains. And that's a very big change that is going to take some time you know, to happen. I mean, and that, that comes from, you know, the change required by institutional investors, but also, you know, mums, mum and dad or, you know, everyday, what are they called, barefoot investors mm. and understanding that actually putting your money into companies that are actually out for long-term value creation will give you far better longer-term you know, returns than those companies that are acting in the benefit of short-term profits. Right, right. Um, but I think, 
you know, you've got such a good overview of like why it is challenging. And, and for me, the, the change being difficult is a really interesting one. And it's something I've been contemplating a fair bit since we went into the, the lockdown mode of COVID-19. And one of the things that I've realised is when change is really needed, we're actually very efficient at it. Yes. Yeah, we we managed to close down offices right throughout not only Australia but globally in a very short period of time. We managed to get, you know, masses upon masses of people working from home and connected to the to the internet in a way that we've never seen before and without, from what we can see, huge detriment to the, the systems that support companies globally. We've had government make very swift decisions about making investments into people to protect their health health and their livelihoods. And in the UK, there was an example about um, they had a, a plan, I think it was in London, to reduce the number of people um, in that are homeless living in London. And apparently it was about a, a two-and-a-half-year plan. And to ensure that the health of these people was protected when COVID-19 happened, they effectively implemented the plan within, I think, four days. Right. To me, this power of change is something that is so wonderful to hear, but I really struggle with it when I think, why can't we just apply the same lens to becoming an ethical business? Mm. What is it that's holding us back as companies or as, as, you know, individuals within businesses or, or company directors to push forward on the big step changes that need to happen to make the world a better place. And that includes things like taking urgent action on climate change, respecting, putting the right models in place to respect human rights, you know, employing people from a um, diverse range of backgrounds. You know, we, we constantly hear that there's that, you know, it's a, it's a journey. It's going to take us a little bit longer and I'm I'm just interested in your thoughts if you've if you've seen that shift to swifter, um, more social led decision making since since COVID nineteen. Oh yeah, and you're so right. You know that we've we've seen um, human beings really are magnificent, and haven't we underestimated ourselves, our businesses, and each other? Um, you know how exactly to your point. How long have we sat there saying, "Oh well, it will take another generation until," and then it got done in thirty days. So, so I hope we take that learning. And um, and next time it comes before a board table or in our business decision making and we say, okay, let's plan for that. The world isn't ready. We say, well, remember um, how fast the world moved. You know, I think the nature of work has changed profoundly because of COVID. You know, we, we've suddenly seen we can, we can create incredibly flexible, incredibly productive work workforces with people working from home. Now, how many women have been saying that um, for how long in terms of this would make it much easier for me uh, if I had that flexibility for women who choose to be parents or men who choose to be parents? Now, suddenly here it is and we're doing it. And so, so yes, it's a shining example of what you can achieve. You know, and there's, there's a corny saying about necessity, I think, being the mother of invention, but boy, has it proved true. I, I, think, um, I think also... You know, you have to challenge. Challenging an accepted norm is hard. I've you know I've worked out of construct now for 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 most of my 
all of my business life, really. And and I've learned that sometimes you need to create a frame for people to understand what you're trying to achieve. If you're trying to smash down, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to smash down the barriers in my thinking, if you like, to work out of construct. And if you're trying to do that for others, you actually have to create frames so that they can it's understand within their worldview. Like you have to meet people on the particular field that, that they can engage with you on. Now, that can be data and logic. It might be ideology. It might be the sort of the field of faith. It might be a field of storytelling. You know, it's, it's I think sometimes we come to things saying, well, the data tells us this, and particularly in climate change, therefore, why, we don't understand why people won't meet us on that field, why they don't understand. And so we haven't actually been communicating. We've been misfiring. We've been miscommunicating. Communicating. So, so I think there's a, a bit about that as well. Finding which is the field that we need to engage on. Now, of course, it's wonderful that, that you know this is another wonderful thing about COVID. If there's anything wonderful about a crisis, it's a public health and economic crisis that's going to negatively impact billions of people potentially. Um, but if there's learnings to take out of it, you know, one of them is that science and data, you know, you're entitled to your own opinions, but you're not entitled to your own facts. So so here we are standing together on science and data at last. And I hope it, it, it I hope we can carry that um, into f- future discussions around environmental sustainability, climate change, and what we need to do, you know, to make our world a better place. And, and you know, have I, have, have I been frustrated by it a million times? You know, if I have to have one more discussion about, you know, whether or not it's appropriate that I as a woman have the same rights as, as a man, I know exactly, or I have some feeling for how people of colour feel when they're feeling they need to stand up and say, you know what, I have the right not to be killed. I have the right to be treated with equal justice. It's the same as to a uh, in a different way to, to a woman or a little girl saying I have the same right to be treated as a little, the same way as a little boy. Um, yes, I've been frustrated by it. But change is happening. Change is here. The old way of doing things, thankfully, I think, you know, I hope we take the best and the learnings from our history and our recent past and we ho- and, and leave the rest of it behind. And, and we're seeing that more and more. Uh, we saw it with um, marriage equality in this country and the involvement of business in that debate. We will see it in the discussion around equality and justice, people of colour, and the demand to end institutionalised racism in any form, uh, whether that's in the police or in other organs of power in society. So it's it's coming. We have to stand in the room and we have to stand not just and wait, we have to stand there and use our voices and our businesses to be part of a positive, um, the positive change that's coming. And I guess this is where... In my view, we, we're probably going to see the end of what we colloquial know as like corporate responsibility. You know, it's it's going to be replaced, hopefully, with the era of purpose-led businesses where, where CSR is actually just a given. It's just integrated into business and what sits alongside it are the ESG or environmental, social and governance standards that each business decides to commit to and each institution decides to commit to, be it, you know, the police or a government department. And that those those two concepts just really become one and become a way that we can really make an assessment of, of how dedicated a company truly is to this whole future-proofed purpose-led business. And I'm I'm interested. Like, do you do you see them as working hand in hand? I mean, I'm I'm recognizing that I'm saying the death of CSR. Yeah. Um, yeah but I do I, see I do see those sorts of concepts as coming to an end if if it's just inherent in a business. 
I agree with you that there's change in the way that we are going to define and look at ways that the business behaves. And I, I think really these, you know, we when I think about what CSR or ESG or purpose-led or, or any other name or label we give to the way that a, a business behaves or the thing that a business pays, the, the issues that a business pays attention to, I think we need to recognize these are all just constructs, really. Their ways comes back to that concept of helping us frame our thinking. So there are ways to frame our thinking that we can use to understand what the issues are. But actually what we need to do is kind of uncap our thinking. Like I, I think we need to to free ourselves in some way from from this sort of siloed, it must be, you know, CSR is is the beginning. It's, you know, it's the self-regulation. It's, it's, it's where we began. Like to me, it's the first step on the ladder in a way. And then ESG, okay, that's, that's a measurement. That's a, it's another step on the ladder and purpose, you know, this wider concept, maybe that's the next step up the ladder, but actually what matters to me is not the definitions, but it matters where's the ladder leading us, you know, to, to, to business greatness and engagement across divide. I mean, I think that's that's where the ladder leads us. And, and so that's that to me is what really matters. So I think there's room for all of it because you do need to frame things in a way people understand. It has to not be an intangible cons- concept. You know, I, I do believe coming back to how you communicate with people, you have to find ways to communicate with people when you're trying to affect change that they actually understand that fits their frame. So you can't sit at a major board and talk widely about the earth, for instance, being one living one living entity where everything is connected, including our businesses and how we feed into that. I mean, you can do that, but I, I, I suspect that it's, as well as doing that, or instead of doing that, it's better to sit there and talk about the frames of, of how business operates in society through CSR, ESG, purpose, whatever it is, whatever frame you're putting, and how this is actually going to meet businesses, this particular business's objective to serve all its stakeholders. So, you know, we, we, we need to, to find ways to use language where we're heard and we need to hear other people's language that they're using and try and find common ground. So does CSR feel like, you know, (laughs) the old days? Yep. And, you know, ESG, well, you know, I'm just so pleased to see ESG with such such support, but yep, it could be the old days. Is purpose the new thing? Yep. Is there something else coming next? Yep. It doesn't matter to me. It matters what the ladder is, what's the direction, and how do we bring as many people with us as we can as we build businesses, as we work in businesses, you know, as we operate in society. How do we make sure we use every tool at our disposal to affect positive change every minute of the day, including in our business lives? Yeah, and I think that's really valuable and it's certainly insightful from my perspective to to hear that, you know, that's the nature of conversation that can happen at the board level for really big companies and that you people can come along on the process and climb that that ladder to to whatever that higher purpose is for that yep. organization. Yep. Yeah. Now I'd like to ask you two final questions before we go that we ask all of our podcast guests. Um, and the first one is what keeps you up at night? <laughs> oh my God goodness how much how long have I got to uh, <laughs> right at the moment in the middle of COVID oh my goodness well our world is in such turmoil what keeps me up at night do you know I, I work really hard to use the limited voice I have in the public square in a really positive way so let me frame I, I, I don't want to sort of delve into 
the darkness of all the things that could be going wrong and remembering we're delivering service to um, tens of thousands of people in extreme poverty right at the moment in the middle of a public health crisis and an economic crisis where, you know, we are going to see an extraordinary number of people pushed into poverty likely just by the end of this year. You know, there's estimates that half a billion people are going to go into poverty by the end of this year. So let me pull out from the depths of the darkness of that and tell you about the good things that keep me awake at night. I'm constantly wondering what my best use is, like what the next step is, how I can use my voice most effectively with all the good fortune and privilege that I have to affect change and how I can use my business and the businesses that I'm involved with and my business life to move, if you like, to move everything forward. So I wonder and think about that all the time. Like here we are at this moment of turmoil and change. It keeps me up at night thinking, where do I fit in that? And how, what's my best use? How can I influence and support young leaders, emerging leaders, this incredible movement for change? So, because I think it's an incredibly positive, there are really positive things happening. And, and I worry about, gee, are we doing enough? I forever will worry about, oh, we I didn't do enough. We didn't do enough. So in a, in a positive way, I'm just trying to figure out, okay, and I, I, where do I fit in all that? Where does Adara fit in that? Where does the rest of my life fit in that? What can I do? Um, for a philanthropist. <laughs> is that a philanthropist or a, I don't know, an angst-filled optimist? I don't know what the hell I am really. You know, I could go on and on about the things that are keeping me up at night here in a negative way, the same as everybody else in the world. I understand the context and the severe and grave concerns we have for our planet. I think about that every minute of every day. For me, it's about what do you choose in that? Where do you stand in that? How do I support others in that? How do I make sure that every day I get up and try in a little way to make our world a better place for you know, for everybody, a more just and fair place. How do we use business to do that? And, you know, I fall flat all the time. So so I guess that's really, that. that's it. I, I, that, that's what really keeps me awake at night. And then finally, and I think this will also be a challenging one for you, if you could solve one pressure that society is facing overnight, what would it be and why? Oh, no question about that. That's actually an easy one. Um, inequality income and wealth inequality. We live in in an age of this appalling gap in wealth and income inequality. And so many, uh, almost all of the world's most complex social environmental issues flow from that inequality. If I could wave my magic wand, we would have a, a much fairer distribution of resources and an even playing field for every every baby that's born on this planet going forward, no matter where they're born. To, to me, you know, the whole game in terms of affecting change. It's, it's all about that. We, we need to distribute resources in an entirely different way and we need to distribute opportunity in an entirely different way. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we could wave our magic wand <laughs> and make that happen as opposed to just getting up every day and doing our tiny little best, our little stitch in the tapestry of social change, which is all we're all doing. But yeah, it, it, it's, it all goes to that for me. It's all about injustice and inequality. Thank you very much for joining us on the Pressures Report today, Odette. And thank you too for our listeners. You can subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platform and leave a review. Join us next week as we discuss the move to net zero with the Director of 2040, Damon Gamoo. I'm Kylie Porter and that's all from the Pressures Report. The Pressures Report is a podcast by the Global Compact Network Australia, produced by Matt Orr Productions with music by Jay Gaming.